Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about the first seven days on the ark with Noah and how Noah had to have patience and wait on God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's uh, start in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. What would we do if we didn't have the words of God recorded and given to us? We thank you for this precious gift. Open our hearts. Teach us, precious Holy Spirit. Guide us this morning into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 8, we'll start with verse 1. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters were assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually, and after the end of 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth day and the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountain scene. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the earth. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot and she returned unto him into the ark for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him unto the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening. And lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the face of the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto, Mo, unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both the fowl and cattle, and that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his son's wife with him. Now, when I just read this passage, I tried to emphasize certain parts just to bring out a certain focus and emphasis that's here in this passage. So when you step back and you look at an over, as an overview of this passage, let me just kind of reread some of those parts again, and then I'm going to ask you what's being emphasized. So verse 3, at the end of 150 days, the waters were abated. Verse 4, the water, the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month. Verse 5, waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. Verse 6, at the end of 40 days. Verse 10, he stayed yet other seven days. Verse 11, he stayed yet other seven days. Verse 13, it came to pass in the 601st year, the first month, the first day of the month. Verse 14th, in the second month, on the 7th, 20th day of the month. All right, so from what those, pa- those parts that I just read, what's the emphasis? It's time. It's just all about time. What happened when, how long it was that, that, it, that this took and that that took. 
And because God has gone to so much trouble to put those dates for us and those periods, it means that we're supposed to focus on that. We're supposed to to look and concentrate on not only what happened, but how long everything took. So we need to carefully note the different phases of the flood and imagine Noah and his family sitting in that ark and carefully recording and counting the days of each one of the phase. Phase one, Genesis 7.10, the calm before the storm. That lasted seven days. So, so far we have T equals seven. Our total time is seven days. Phase two, Genesis 7.11 and 17, the storm days. That lasted 40 days. So now we have T equals 47, 47 days. Phase three, Genesis 7, 18 through 24, to the end of the chapter, the steady rain phase, the continual rain, the rain without stop, that lasted 110 days. Now we are at T equals 157 days. Phase 4, which is our chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, which is the ark settles. And during this time when the ark is settled on Mount Ararat, we have the water stopping. We have the tops of the mountain seen. This is a period, when you work it off, this is a period that works out to 68 days plus 40 days or 108 days. So now we are at T equals 265 days. Phase 5, Genesis 8 through 6 through 14, is the opening of the window, the bird experiments, and the drying of the earth. That's 14 days of of experiments plus an additional 55 days for the earth to dry out. That's 69 days. So now we are at T equals 334 days, just in case you were wondering. Now, just picture yourself being on the ark for that period of time. And it was all very exciting when you entered into the ark, right? But you know what it wasn't? God was not saying to you, if you're getting on the ark, God wasn't saying to you, well, welcome aboard. (laughs) I know you'll be very interested, so here's a copy of your day-to-day itinerary. (laughs) He didn't do that, and they didn't get that, and they didn't know that, and that was because you just did not know what was going to happen next, and you didn't know how long what was going to happen next was going to last. You didn't know. You just didn't know. And each face was, you, there were two ways you could look at it. You could say, oh no, what next? Or you could say, this is an exciting adventure. Kind of like how you feel when you're strapped into a roller coaster. But, <laughs> first face is interesting. Because that's seven days when nothing happens. All right? It's not an easy wait. I mean, you know, you get on the ark, you're expecting a flood. No flood comes. Right? That's not just easy. You just sit there for seven days. You don't know how long you're going to be sitting there. And, uh, you know, finally when things start to happen, you say, okay, well, you know. (laughs) Reminds me of the couple, have you heard of this, the one, one of those cities in the tornado corridor of Oklahoma. And and one year there are so many tornado warnings and so many sirens and the same routine. They rush and down into the storm cellar. They wait and wait and wait and finally get the all clear. They come out, no damage. It was just getting old. Every time the same thing, they'd hear the sirens, they'd go down into the cellar, they wait, they hear the all clear, they throw the door open, 
and the tornado just didn't cause any damage. It went over and over again. One time, just like in the past, the sirens go off. They rush into the cellar. They wait. They time. They throw open the doors, and they look, and there's not a building or a tree standing. Everything's been demolished. And the husband turns to the wife and says, now that's what I expect when I throw the doors of the storage cellar open. <laughs> well, finally, after seven days, you turn and you say, now that's what I expect when I get into the ark to protect me from the flood. So the flood starts. Now, next comes the next 40 days in the second phase that says the windows of heaven are broke up and the great fountains, the windows of heaven are open, and the great fountains of the deep are broke up. Massive water geysers, we can only imagine. And again, you have no idea how long that's going to last. So after the 40th day, you think, okay, that's over. And then comes this long period of 110 days with rain that never lets up. There's no stop to this rain. And so what do you do? You do what you've been doing before. You wait. Now, in all of this, as you're on the ark, there's one thing that you must have if you're going to make it, and that's the quality of patience. You must have patience. Going into the ark, if you're going into the ark, that's like being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. A cousin and I were talking the other day, and he was telling me about getting married. He's my twin. Co- he's, he's not my twin cousin. He, he has a twin, and so his other brother, his twin brother, never got married. My cousin was got married. It's his second marriage. So my uncle says he got married for both of them. But anyway, <laughs> he, say, he was telling me. He said, "This is the this is the most important decision to make in life." He was telling me, and I said, "No, it's not." And I said, "Getting married is actually the second most important decision you make in life." The first most important decision you make in life is whether or not you will make the Lord Jesus Christ your God and your Savior. Well, we heard already this morning about Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53.10, it speaks about making the Lord Jesus Christ the Savior of our lives, written over 500 years before he came. But it uses this phrase. It says, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. When you make his soul your offering for your sin, it says, then he'll see his seed. Now, that is speaking about a specific time, a specific time in our lives referred to the time when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. That's the Isaiah 53.10 time of our lives, the time of salvation. I remember my Isaiah 53.10 time of salvation when I made his soul an offering for sin. That was in September of 1970. That's when I followed Pastor Han as he led me in the sinner's prayer. That was my Isaiah 53 time, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. And I knew that something foundational changed in my life. I didn't know what, and I didn't know, I didn't know very much at all, but I knew there was something very special about what it, something special happened when I made the Lord Jesus Christ my offering for my sin. Something changed, but I didn't realize how foundational it would be. That's why Isaiah 53.10 goes on to say that after that, he shall see his seed. In other words, when a person makes the Lord Jesus Christ his offering for sin, then God looks at that person and said, that's my seed. That's the seed of God. So making the Lord Jesus Christ 
the, the offering for sin is how it's referred to God seeing his seed. In another place in John, it's referred to being born a second time, born again. That's like the time of entering the ark. Noah's family and his family, they enter this salvation ark. It's like when we're saved. We fled to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. He's our ark of salvation. And as with Noah and his family, God, again, did not, does not give us an itinerary of everything that's going to happen to us in our lives. He promises it will be an adventure, though. He says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's an adventure. And it was brought out this morning also in Psalm uh, that um, Brother Jacob brought up, how many times God delivered Israel. And that's what it says in Psalm 106.43. Many times did he deliver them. Many times did he deliver them. What's that mean? Many times they got in trouble. What's that mean in our lives? Many times we get in trouble, but many times he delivers us. So as with Noah and his family, what they needed was patience. What we need is patience if we're going to make it. In Hebrews 12.1, it speaks about this patience, and it says that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. In other words, set us off to the side. And then it says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So Noah and his family, they were tempted you know, it's, I mean, the questions naturally, if you were on the ark, would come up, you know, it's been such a long time on this ark. Will we ever see dry land again? That's a natural question. You know, has God forgotten us? You know, will he save, really save us alive? And that fear of being forgotten on the ark was so strong that chapter 8, verse 1, starts by addressing that when it says, And God remembered Noah. Has God forgotten us? And God remembered Noah and everything in the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made the wind to pass over. Tom, today you talked about the long wait that Noah had in the ark and how he needed to be patient. What is it that we need to have patience for? Right. You know, the Bible tells us and identifies that there are areas where we really do need to be patient. And we need to look at Noah. And as we look at Noah in the ark, we have to say, he's my model. If Noah could wait out all those days in the ark, waiting for the time when 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 he would land and when he would be able to emerge from the ark. And if he did that, then I can do it also. And so one of the areas in which we need to be patient about is identified for us in Hebrews 10, 35 to 37, where it speaks about, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. 
What this is telling us here is that we are tempted in this life to cast away our confidence. What is our confidence? Our confidence is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is actually our confidence itself embodied in him. In other words, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We love the Lord Jesus Christ. We we seek to please the Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to the rewards from the Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to seeing him face to face and for him to look at us and to say, you did a good job. You obeyed me. Whom having not seen ye love? You loved me even though you didn't see me. And you see, that's our confidence when that we will be rewarded by him. It's our confidence that he's there, that he's watching, and that one day we're going to have this wonderful time. And it's called here a great recompense of reward. And so it says here, don't cast it away. In other words, it's really a picture like we're on a ship and we're looking at different things that are on the ship. We're looking at the food that's stored on the ship. We're looking at at, at the compass that's on the ship, and we're we're looking at the we're looking at the maybe the fishing poles that are on the ship, et cetera, et cetera. And as we're looking at these different things, and then we're saying to ourselves, you know, maybe the the ship guy could the ship would go a little bit easier if it wasn't so heavy. So you know what? I think I'm going to throw away things. I'm not going to need this. What do I need this compass for? Cast it away. What do I need this fishing pole? And all this tackling and everything, cast it away and so forth. See, why would you cast it away? You cast it away because you say, I'm not going to need it in the future. And so you look at it by parallel, you say, you know, why do I have to live a holy life? Cast it away. Why should I keep myself pure from, from uh, what looks like to be an enjoyable sin? Cast it away. See, that's what he's saying. Don't do that. And so just as you would say to the person that's on the ship, don't throw that compass away. It's going to be a time you're going to need it. Don't throw that fishing pole and fishing tackle away. You're going to need it. Don't throw that food out. You're going to need it. And so in the same way, don't throw away your holy life. You're going to need it. Don't throw away a, don't don't throw away your resistance to sin. You're going to need it. Cast not therefore away therefore your confidence. It has a great recompense of reward. It will reward you in the future. So what do we need? He says you have need of patience. See, the patience of, uh, uh, we think back of the patience of, of Noah on the ark. He says he had patience. He had need of patience. He exercised patience. And did his patience have a great recompense reward? Well, I hope to tell you there was a time when he landed, when he opened up that door. And when he opened up the door and he saw the new earth, and he says, you know what? It was worth waiting for. It was worth keeping my patience over. It was worth not casting away my confidence. The same way with us. So he says, you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And after you've done the will of God, you don't throw it all away. He says, you might receive the promise. And what is the promise? It says in verse 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. The promise is the coming, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ should be such a hope in us that it's like a fire. And we need to stoke the fire. We need to feed the fire. We need to 
quote, put some air on the fire to keep the flames burning bright. Every day we should wake up and say, even with the last words of the Bible that say, even so, come Lord Jesus, every day we should wake up and say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Every night before we go to sleep, we should say, even so, come Lord Jesus. What does it do when we say that? It keeps the fire burning hot of the promise. In a little while, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. If we keep that in front of us, if we keep that in front of us, then what happens is that we have a hope, a hope that purifies us, a hope that has an effect within us. And that's the confidence that we have in the promise that in a little while he shall come and will come and will not tarry. And if we keep that in front of us, then it'll keep us pure. And that gets to the next area of where we need to have patience, which is to resist sin. It says in 1 John 3, 1 through 4, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. See, when I was reading that, every time it said shall, I said he shall, see, doth what we shall be. We know that he shall appear and we shall see him as he is. All those shalls is the hope, is what we need to have patience over because we, 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 because the word of God tells us that God has such an indescribable love toward us, that he's crowned us, bestowed upon us. He's crowned us with a title, the sons of God. We should be called the sons of God. And of course, the world doesn't know us as the sons of God because they don't know God. But it says now, right now, God has crowned us with the sons of God. But if we say to ourselves, well, if the sons of God, then we are not what we should be. It's just like that song goes, you know, then we shall be be what we should be, then we shall be where we would be. Things that are not now nor could be soon shall be our own. See, all of that is a song of hope, you see. And so when it says, beloved, now we are the sons of God and it doth not yet, not yet. See, there's hope, not yet appear what we shall be when we are, when we are conformed to the image of his son, when we are like the Lord Jesus Christ, in his image, like him. We shall see him, we shall be like him. Who doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know, see, that's where hope comes in. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When we finally look face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face, what shall it be? When I behold him. See, this is what it's talking about here. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him 
as he is. In other words, when that moment comes, when we are face to face with Christ our Savior, a change will happen and we'll be like him as we see him as he is. Now, that's a great hope. And and what is said here, what John is saying here is that every person who has that hope inside of him, he's purifying himself. He's purifying himself even as he is pure. And that's what we should be, purifiers of ourselves. How? By having this hope. Now, another area of hope was very important for us to exercise, just like Noah was sitting in that ark for such a long time, is in tribulation. And this is where Paul explains to the Roman believers who were really in the thick of it. I mean, can you imagine being a part of the body of Christ, the, 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 the church in the city of Rome? The city where the Roman emperors, when they would, for entertainment, would uh, would immerse Christians in pitch, tie them to poles, and then set them on fire so that they could become lamps at night. That was Rome. When they would be thrown to the lions and the wild beasts for entertainment, that was Rome. That was tribulation. So difficult. They had to live in underground tombs, the catacombs. And so this was tribulation. And it was so discouraging for them as they would see their family members, as they would see their friends be lit up in the make the skylight up with their bodies on fire, be thrown to the the lions as people cheered as they saw them torn piece to piece. And so what did Paul say? What did he say to encourage these people? Romans 5.3, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So Paul said, here also, he says, you should glory in the tribulations because it's working for us patience. So we see in Noah the great example for us to be patient. Thank you for joining us today. Now, we'd like to encourage you to visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can download free copies of today's message as well as listen and view to other past messages and also receive other materials that we have free and available online. We've also added some new features on our website where you can sign up for a Tom Cantor daily devotional verse that will come right to your phone or to your email. So sign up online today at friendshipwithgod.org. You'll also find at friendshipwithgod.org our ministry newsletter from Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God that you can sign up and receive electronically to your email. You'll also hear in the newsletter wonderful testimonies of Jewish people who have made decisions to come and follow the Lord Jesus Christ through our Summer Blitz outreach campaign where we're trying to reach 1 million lost Jewish people this summer in 17 major Jewish cities. For more information, you can also call us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051.